If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts. Um, you can go anywhere you want in those first 12 chapters, to be honest, because uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at uh, chapters 1 through 12. Back in, in February, we began our journey through the book of Acts with the words of Bilbo Baggins from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is what Bilbo said to uh, Frodo. He said, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. And I think Bilbo was right so far. We've been swept off into different places, some that we expected and some that we did not. And last week in finishing chapter 12, we came to a turning point in the book of Acts. Um, it's, a, it's a sharp bend in the trail, if you were. If, if you will, the, the stage was set for great things to begin happening. And while opposition from Herod formed a threat of, from the world and from the forces of evil, the word we saw continued to increase and to multiply. And so now, beginning in chapter 13, Luke is going to link us up with the Apostle Paul. And, and Paul, with Paul, we're going to journey far away from Jerusalem and far away from Antioch, where much of the early activity of the church has been has been concentrated up to this point, and we're going to see what it looks like for the gospel to begin to go to the ends of the earth. It's going to go far and wide into new places and, and break new ground. But now that I've got you kind of excited for that, let me say that, that we're not going to step off on that leg in the journey yet, mostly because I'm heading on a journey and I'm not going to be preaching here at GFC for the, at least four weeks um, and after that, we'll be in the season of Advent, and we uh, might want to pause and think about the coming of Jesus. So I think beginning this section of Acts in Acts 13, and then stepping back would seem unwise. It would be like taking a step onto an escalator and then deciding that you don't really want to go to the second floor. It just doesn't end well, you know, it's not smart. So instead of moving forward, I want us to, to pause and to look back. And my hope in doing this is that we'll get a clearer picture of the flow of the book of Acts and remember where this story has, has taken us so far. Uh, but more importantly, I want us to, to pull together and to remember some of the key lessons and the applications that God has, through his spirit, shown us in these 12 chapters. So don't hear that. If you've, if you've been with us for those 12 chapters, don't hear that and say, well, I guess I've heard all of this before, so I can work on my grocery list or something. You know, that's, that's not what you should hear because I'm the guy that preached all these sermons and I don't remember everything that we said. And I'm not, and none of us are, are living perfectly all the applications that we've seen in this book. So it's good to, to look back. Um, it's like in math class or when you have to, to get a license or a certification renewed. It's, it's always good to pause and review and to see what we're doing. And with scripture, it's always good to meditate on how we're applying what we've learned. You know, truly knowing God's word should always lead to living God's word daily. And reviewing what we've learned will help us to do that. It's going to help us to actually apply what we've seen rather than let it pass by quickly. As we look back and, and consider the the call to join in on what God is still doing in the world, I, I think what I want our hearts to feel this, this, this afternoon are three things. I want us to say at the end, and we'll revisit these thoughts, but just thinking towards application, I want us to say these three things. Uh, 
this may not be as easy as I thought. Thinking about joining in on what God is doing. This may not be as easy as what I thought. The second thought is, with God's help, this is something I can do. With God's help, we can be a part of what God is doing in the world. And third, there's nothing better I could invest my life in. So this is what we're driving for towards. This may not be as easy as I thought. This whole walking in the ways of the book of Acts. This may not be as easy as I thought. With God's help, this is something that I can do. And there's nothing better that I could invest my life in. So as we head in that direction, let's begin by remembering some of the places of Acts 1 through 12. So I want us to walk back through some of the places of Acts chapters 1 through 12. The book of Acts takes us in in many different places geographically. And the geographical movement that's going on in the book of Acts is very important. But it's interesting to note, isn't it, that the first seven chapters... In those chapters, there's not much change in location. We're not going lots of places. And that's because the activity of the early church was centered in the city of Jerusalem. The book opens with the recently resurrected Jesus ascending into the clouds from the Mount of Olives, which was just a a Sabbath day journey from Jerusalem. And just before he left, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Spirit that was going to come in not many days. So in the beginning, we're not surprised that that no one really leaves Jerusalem because Jesus told them to stay there. Even though in Acts 1.8, he says that they're going to be witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But that's coming later. For now, they have to, to stay in Jerusalem because they have to receive the gift of the Spirit, which happens in Acts 2 in the upper room in Jerusalem and allows them to do this work that God's called them to do. So the church, the church grew up in Jerusalem, if you want to think about it that way. The church, this is where the, the church learned to walk and where the church learned to talk. This is where the church grew in wisdom and in knowledge. And she grew there despite opposition, despite people that were trying to keep her from growing. But the opposition that led to the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts 7, was different than some of the early clashes that the church had faced. In fact, it was only after that incident that many in the church left Jerusalem. Acts 8.1 tells us that a great persecution arose that day against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So in some ways, this persecution of Acts 8.1 fuels the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. Works out well. Acts 8.1 pushes the church out so they will do what Jesus told them to do in Acts 1.8. And so we watch Philip go out and he proclaims the gospel in a Samaritan village. And then he proclaimed it to an Ethiopian eunuch on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Saul is converted and Cornelius is converted. And then Antioch takes center stage as this metropolitan multicultural city where the gospel is going to flourish and, and grow. And so by Acts 13, we see that the good news of Jesus has spread through Jerusalem Judea and Samaria, and now it's ready to head out into the wide world. The church, again, is like this child who who grows up, but maybe she rarely left her hometown. And now one day she's starting to think about going off to college. And, you know, she's going to go see what it's like in these faraway places. And ready or not, she's going to pack her bags and see what's beyond this place that she's always known. And so 
Also, the church steps into the areas beyond Jerusalem, beyond Israel, to see what's going to happen, what God's going to do. I think we could look at these first 12 chapters and wrongly think that these coming days of expansion were when the church really started. And we could fail to see that those early days in Jerusalem were not unimportant. They, they weren't wrong. Rather, any, they weren't wrong any more than, than our days of growth and maturity when we're young are unimportant or they're wrong. In fact, our early days of development, even just thinking about it from a scientific standpoint, those have great influence on, on who we grew up to be. And so also the, the early church in those early days needed to grow. It needed to understand who it was. It needed to understand what it meant to follow Jesus now that the Spirit had come. It needed to, the church needed to come to grips with the reality of what this good news going to the ends of the earth meant. What does it mean that everyone can come to know Christ? Of course, though, it's always easier to stay where things are, are comfortable, isn't it? It's hard to move out. Some of you have move from faraway places. It's difficult. It'd be easier just to stay where you know everything. But sometimes even in our walks with Christ or in the life of the church, we, we can choose to just kind of stick with what we know, with what's, what's familiar and easy, with the way that we've always done things. But we should ask if there's an opportunity for growth when we step into to places and situations where God has to show his power. We should be looking for ways that we can step into these kind of situations that would force our faith to, to grow. Maybe God will disrupt things. He'll send something and it will disrupt us and, and get us going like happened in the early church. Maybe he'll shake us up and change the way that we're used to, to walk so that we could walk in more boldness or we would take the gospel to a new place. Maybe he'll take the church building that you met in and turn it into a storage unit and make you homeless for a little bit to, to stretch you, to push you, to call you to whatever it might be next. We should be careful about being too comfortable and maybe welcome being shaken up a little bit and pushed out of our comfort zones as individuals and as a church. Well, in these early days of growth and transition, we see geographical movement, and that's important in the book of Acts, but we also see some wonderful teachers and leaders in the early church. These are people that, as we've studied the book of Acts, we've grown to love them and to, to know them and to appreciate them. So I, we've thought about the places of Acts 1 through 12. I want to think about some of the people of Acts 1 through 12. Some of these wonderful people that we've met, our forefathers in the faith. Of course, we could talk about Peter a good bit if we wanted to, the way that God used him on the day of Pentecost and in different ways, opening the door of the kingdom to so many different people. We could talk about Saul and his conversion, though we're going to talk about him a lot for the rest of the book of Acts. And so nothing against those guys or any of the other people from the book of Acts in these first 12 chapters, but the people that have stood out to me in these first, first three chapters, the characters that I want to learn from and be more like are Stephen, Philip, and Barnabas. I love going through books of the Bible because I'm always surprised by some people or some situation or some story. And Philip... Stephen, Philip, and Barnabas have stood out. And so I want us just to revisit these men. And I want to give a simple summary of what they, they teach us and then challenge us to, to walk in their ways. So first is Stephen. And I think this is what Stephen's life and witness says to us. Stephen says, boldly proclaim the truth of God. Boldly proclaim the truth of God. Luke tells us, that Stephen was a man full of faith 
He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace. And he was full of power. And he was also a man that was full of wisdom, the wisdom of the Scriptures. So his life was blameless. And his understanding of the Scriptures was deep. A blameless life and deep understanding of the Scriptures. Which meant that you remember when the crowd didn't like his, his message the best, maybe we could say the worst that they could do was to reject his life and his wisdom and instead gather false witnesses against him. Stephen's integrity of life and his understanding of the Scriptures revealed their rejection of the Gospel. And out of his conviction of the truth of the Scriptures and his understanding of the Scriptures connected to that, that blameless life, he preached the gospel boldly in the early church. As we look at guys like Stephen, our small group did this on uh, Friday night, just thinking about looking at people like Stephen, witnesses in the early church, we, we ask, why don't we do that? Why don't we boldly proclaim the truth of God in our world like Stephen did? Why do we lack the deep conviction and the courageous announcement of the gospel that Stephen had? And I think the answer could be that we're not living lives of integrity like Stephen did. Or maybe that we're not growing in our knowledge of God's word like Stephen had. That we're not pursuing holiness in how we live. Or maybe we're not pursuing wisdom from God's word. Now, that's not to say that, that you should wait until you are perfect to share the gospel. That's a terrible thing to do. Don't do that. And it's not to say that you need to have the answers to every question before you can tell others the hope of forgiveness through faith in Christ. Rather, what I'm saying to your heart and to my heart is that sometimes I think we lack boldness in our proclamation of the gospel, maybe because of guilt and shame associated with our own unconfessed sin, or maybe our own habitual sins because of a lack of integrity in our own life. Who wants to boldly tell other people to follow Jesus when we're wondering if we are? We're struggling to know if we really are. Now, of course, we're never going to get to the place that we're perfect with that, but can't we grow in holiness? It may also be that we lack courage because we're not steeped and soaked in the scriptures to the point that when other people squeeze us, we sort of drip out the truth of God's word. We might be more soaked with all the cares of this world. We might be soaked with the pop culture that we know too much about or whatever other peripheral issue to the truth of the gospel there is. It was said of Charles Spurgeon, this great preacher, that when you pricked him, he bled biblene. That's a weird way to say it, but the thought was that if you poked Spurgeon, what he bled was God's word. That was just what he was filled with. What do you bleed? What do I bleed? Do we bleed politics? Sports, entertainment, anxiety, selfishness. Stephen boldly proclaimed God's word and it flowed from his integrity of life and his love for the truth. What about us? Philip, in a similar way, challenges us in our proclamation of the gospel. And while he was, he was bold like Stephen was, he teaches us something else. I think he teaches us this. Philip says, walk in and be led by the Spirit. I'm not saying Stephen doesn't say that, but Philip says that in a unique way. Walk in and be led by the Spirit. 
Stephen tells us to boldly proclaim the gospel. Philip says, walk in and be led by the Spirit as we're seeking to do that. We meet Philip in Acts 8. And we see first off there, he's later helped by by Peter and John, but he opens the door for the Samaritans, those that were part Jewish and part Samaritan. He opens the door of the gospel. And then after that happens, he's told by the Spirit to go to the south, to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And while he's on that road, the Spirit comes and tells him to approach this chariot, which leads to Philip asking questions, sharing the good news of Jesus with the Ethiopian eunuch, baptizing him. And then after that, Philip is whisked away by the Spirit to go proclaim the gospel elsewhere. Philip was led by the Spirit. I I think as we look at Acts, if we're honest, as we've looked at these first 12 chapters, there's this general call in Acts, this, this conviction that we're feeling to share the truth of the gospel in the way that we see the early church doing it, to proclaim the gospel to others. This good news that Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again so that we can have new life in him. That it's by repentance and faith. It's not by the good works that we do, but it's by trusting what Jesus has done on our behalf. And we can be forgiven. We want to proclaim that message. And Philip shows us how God's spirit in seeking to work in and through us to bring the good news of Jesus to specific people in our daily lives. That that if we are following God's spirit, we can proclaim this good news to others. We see that God does this in supernatural ways within very ordinary situations. So walking down the road can lead to a divine encounter with a soul in need of forgiveness. Just walking down the road. We're invited to be a part of sharing the message of the gospel with others as we're aware of the Spirit's promptings and nudges in just everyday life situations. Philip shows us that. And I think this ties in with Stephen's example of integrity and his love for the scriptures in that as we're walking in holiness like Stephen, as we're growing in our understanding of God's word, then we're going to be attuned to the Spirit's leading. These things couple together. So we're going to be, we're going to be listening to God's Spirit. We're going to be looking to be used by Him if we're walking in holiness and we're soaked in God's Word. We're not quenching the Spirit because of our sin. And we're not dulling the Spirit by ignoring God's Word. Rather, our hearts are pure before God. And they are filled with the truth of the Scriptures So the voice of the Spirit, it becomes not a whisper. It becomes loud and clear in our daily lives because there's nothing that hinders it. There's no sin that hinders it. There's no clouding of our brains with other things. We're so soaked with with the truth that we hear the Spirit speak clearly. Brothers and sisters of of Grace Fellowship, I think Acts is, is calling us, it's challenging us to be a people to be a church that tells others the hope of forgiveness that's found in repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Stephen and Philip are modeling this for us and they're calling along with the whole book of Acts. They're saying to us, join in. Join in on the unstoppable, ever-expanding, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus for all people, to all people for the glory of God. And if we want to do that, if we want to do that like they did, then we need to ask ourselves some hard questions, I think. Because it's not just 
I really want to do that, but it feels like everything's different in our day and age than it was in the book of Acts. Because in some ways it is, but in other ways it's not. And I think we just need to ask hard questions and take bold steps because the way to boldness in our proclamation of the gospel, the way of being led by the Spirit is found in a full commitment to the ways and the words of Jesus. So here's some hard questions for our souls. We need to ask questions about our commitment to holiness. We need to ask about our commitment to holiness and to living lives of integrity. Are our entire lives committed to the glory of Jesus? Are we seeking to walk in holiness? Or are we holding back certain dark corners of our lives? Are we living under the full lordship of Jesus Christ in all areas of our hearts? Or are there things that we don't want to give up? We need to ask questions about our seeking of the truth. Questions about our seeking of the truth. Are we continually investing time and energy in seeking to understand the truth that God has revealed to us in His Word? Are we sitting under the preaching of God's Word? Are we reading Scripture with others? Are we meditating on the Bible each day? Are we applying God's Word and His truth to our hearts? If we're not committed to holiness, if we're not seeking the truth of the Word, why would we expect God to use us as individuals or as a church? Why would we think that He would? And yet often we do. Questions about our commitment to holiness, questions about our seeking of the truth. We need to ask hard questions about following the leading of the Spirit. Are, are we looking for the leading and the, empower, and the empowering of the Spirit? Or are we so consumed with our own agendas and our own plans for our days that we're deaf to the Spirit's voice? Are we blind to His promptings? Do we quench the Spirit's leading in our lives because of the things that are crowding Him out? Finally, we need to ask some questions about our belief in the power of God's message. Questions about our belief in the power of God's message. Questions like this. Do we truly believe that the gospel is a transformative message that everyone needs to hear? Are we convinced that Jesus wants to bring life and flourishing to people through faith in Jesus and that no matter how good their life seems, or how lost their soul appears, everyone needs to hear that Jesus is the Savior and everyone can be saved by His grace. I want to know how to play the guitar. I, I want to be able to play all my favorite songs. I want to relax in the evening by just sort of picking a tune. I want to lead my family in family worship. I want to know how to play the guitar but I don't want to learn how to play the guitar. <laughs> I don't want to spend time every evening working on it. I don't want to invest money in lessons. I just want to wake up tomorrow and be able to play it. But that's not going to happen, is it? No. If Christ has changed us and we are children of God, then we want to proclaim the truth of the gospel. We want to do that. That's in our hearts. It's in our souls. We want to tell our friends and our neighbors and our family members about Jesus. We want to reach everyone in our sphere of influence that doesn't know Christ. We want to reach everyone in our city. But if we're honest, let's be honest, right? We can be honest with one another. If we're honest, we don't want to put the work into it. We don't want to, to, to do what it takes to become bold, spirit-led proclaimers of the gospel. 
We want to be like, and some of you will get this and some of you won't, but we want to be like Neo in the Matrix where someone just sort of plugs something in the back of our head and it downloads into us and we're able to do it. We don't want to do work. We just want it downloaded into us, into our church. But let's be honest, it's going to take some work. If we want to be like the church, it's going to take work. It's going to take conviction. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take failure. It's going to take embarrassment. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take some risk. It's going to mean pursuing holiness. Pursuing it. It's going to mean growing in our knowledge of the truth. Putting away some things that are distracting us. Choosing some evenings not to do what we normally want to do. Not to turn the TV on. Waking up early in the morning before we have to go to work to spend time knowing God. It's going to take following the leading of the Spirit, even when He wants us to do something that's awkward and uncomfortable and difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to take work, and it's going to take the work of God's Spirit. In the mystery of God's ways, we are called to work hard. But we also realize that anything good that will come from us is a work of God in us. That He is the Holy Spirit. He makes us holy. He is the spirit of truth. He leads us into truth. He is the one that we walk with and in. I think even now the spirit might bring conviction to our hearts, sins that we need to confess and cast off, attitudes and actions that are working against the spirit's work in our lives, ways that we have neglected God's word, patterns and habits in our lives that are keeping us from walking with and in the Spirit. Don't quench that work of the Spirit. Walking like Stephen or Philip is going to take work done in the power of the Spirit. And you know what else it's going to take if we want to be like him? It's going to take working together. It's going to take one another. We can't do this on our own. So a step towards holiness, a step towards a love for God's word, a step towards being led by the spirit might be finding a brother or sister in Christ to meet with regularly. You can call them an accountability partner. You can call them a discipler. You might just say that they're a friend, <laughs> a true friend. Maybe that feels awkward. Would you be my friend? You know, when was the last time you asked someone that? But that might get at the heart of what we want, what we need. We need people that are real friends to us, real brothers and sisters. There's someone that you can confess your sins to and share your struggles with. There's someone who will encourage you, someone who will confront you, someone who will apply God's word to your life, someone who will read and study the Bible with you, not just so that you can know it, but so that you can apply it into your life. Brothers and sisters, we need each other to help us grow in holiness. Don't think that you can do it on your own. I know I'm tempted that way. Well, I don't, I'll just confess my sins to God. I don't want to confess them to anyone else. Because that's hard. We need one another. We need people to, to love God's word with us. We need them to help us see His Spirit working in our lives. And only when we grow in these ways as individuals and as a church where we see God's work in us and in our church. 
In fact, all of this kind of takes us to our third example of Barnabas. I love Barnabas. And this is what Barnabas says to us. Don't underestimate the power of an encouraging spirit. Don't underestimate, don't undervalue the power of an encouraging spirit. You remember Barnabas's resume. His real name was Joseph, but he gets the nickname Barnabas that means son of encouragement because he's just such an encourager. He sold the property and gave the proceeds, a uh, property and gave the proceeds to the church to bless the poor with all of it. He's the one who was bold enough to go approach Saul after his conversion. And he's the one that the church sent to Antioch, uh, the church in Jerusalem sent to Antioch to see what God was doing there. And he responds with joy to the salvation of the Gentiles. And then he also went on and brought Saul down from Tarsus to help him with the work in Antioch. Luke says he's a good man. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And as we see him in the pages of Scripture, we see him acting and speaking in ways that encourage and embolden and support those in the truth. He's a man who comes alongside others and joyfully and practically helps them grow in their faith. Here's something to be encouraged about by Barnabas. Barnabas never preaches a great sermon that I can tell. And he never performs any miracles. But he is a key figure in the growth of the church. Why? Because he encouraged the faith of others. And he welcomed those that God brought to salvation. He shows us the power of, of an encouraging spirit. The power of joyfully receiving others and of seeking to actively help others grow in their faith. Doesn't that sound like something we could do by God's spirit? How can we walk in the ways of Barnabas? How can we seek out opportunities to encourage others in their faith the way Barnabas did? The possibilities are endless, aren't they? Encouragement comes in many forms. It could be a meal taken to someone's home. It could be a prayer offered at the end of a service. It could be a text message sent in the middle of the week. It may be a more committed time of meeting together to encourage one another, to grow in transparency and honesty with others. It should be happening in our small groups. It should be happening in the meals that we share on Sundays. It should be happening in our homes around the table as we eat meals together as families. It should show up in asking good questions of people and then actually listening and hearing what they have to say and delving down deep to understand where people are at and encouraging them. It could be sending someone a card. I have cards. They're really fancy, aren't they? I didn't even fold them for you. What would it be like in the middle of your week to get a card from someone at Grace Fellowship Church saying that they're praying for you with some specific ways that they're encouraging you with a scripture written on it? Even better than a text, I think, probably. <laughs> I put them on the back table there if you want one. Send a card to someone. And guys, you can send a card to another guy and still keep your man card. That's okay. I think that's who you should be sending cards to, to your other brothers in the faith. To write a note, say, I love you, I'm praying for you. How can I serve you? How can I help you? Here's a scripture that I think is ministering to me. Maybe it ministers to you. I think as we think about these specific lessons from Stephen and from Philip and from Barnabas, we see this general principle in the book of Acts. And it's this, God works through his redeemed people by the power of his spirit, by the power of his spirit. God works, and maybe I should put this in here. God works through all his redeemed people 
by the power of His Holy Spirit. God works through all His redeemed people by the power of His His Holy Spirit. That's the way that God has chosen to work in the world. He works through people, through all His people, all His children who are indwelt by His Spirit. Which is why we keep saying that the message of Acts of Acts is an invitation to all of us, every single one of us, to join in. Join in on the unstoppable, ever-expanding, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. Every single one of us get to be a part of that. It's going to take some work though, right? If you want to join in, you don't just sign your name and I guess you're in. No, it's going to take some work if we really want to be a part of this. Some spirit-empowered work. Some collaborative church together work, but there's nothing better that we could invest our lives in. Nothing. Because Acts has shown us that God's sovereign plan always moves forward despite every opposition. God's sovereign plan for the world always, 100% of the time, moves forward despite every opposition. Every other kingdom will eventually fail, including the United States of America. Every other investment will eventually fail. But God's kingdom and his word cannot be stopped and it will never fail. Think about these summary statements from the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. And we're not even done yet. After the day of Pentecost, everyone gathers together and we're told in Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The religious leaders got upset through Peter and John in prison, later released them. And we read in Acts 4.31, that when they, the church, had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The apostles get arrested again and they're released. And in Acts 5.42 we read, and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. There's an internal conflict and they solve it by establishing deacons. And so Acts 6, 7 says, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Saul gets converted and more persecution arises. But later on, we're told in Acts 9, 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And last week we saw in Acts chapter 12 that Herod comes against the church and tries to snuff it out by killing people, and God kills him. And in Acts 12, 24, we read that the word of God increased and multiplied. God's sovereign plan always, always, always moves forward no matter what opposition comes. And we get to be a part of that. As God's people, this is what we get to join in on. In light of all this, let me take you back to those statements from the beginning, these thoughts that might run into our heads and our hearts as we reflect on these first 12 chapters of Acts. The first one is this, this may not be as easy as I thought. As I reflected on Acts 1 through 12, I thought, this may not be as easy as I thought. It's going to take some work, work in holiness, work in understanding God's word, Work in following the Spirit. Work in building deep, authentic, transparent relationships with one another. That might be the hardest sometimes. And while that work can sound hard, we can also say, with God's help, this is something I can do. 
as a spirit indwelt follower of Jesus, this is something I can do. By His Spirit, I can grow. I can be used by Him. But why would we put the hard work in? Why would we do all this? Why would we try so hard? Because there's nothing better that I could invest my life in. There's nothing better than God's kingdom that you could invest your life in. His kingdom is forever. If you're not a part of God's kingdom, know that you have been given an eternal soul that will never die. And Jesus has come to redeem it. Jesus has come to make peace between us and God because our sin has caused a separation between us and God. And there's nothing that we can do to bridge the gap that's between us and God. And so Jesus has come to bring salvation, to take us back to the Father, that if we will turn from our sins and put our faith and our hope in what Jesus has done by taking the penalty for our sins and living the life that we could not live, then he will forgive us and he will free us. He will make us his children and he'll make us a part of his everlasting kingdom. And then we get to join in on this whole thing. I think another response though, as we close, to these three men or some of these intimidating things would be to ask the question, maybe you're not convinced and you say, can God use me? Can God really use me in this thing? I don't know. I would just say it may not be as easy as you think or as you once thought, but with the Spirit's help, yes. God can use all of us to further his kingdom and for his glory. And there's nothing better that you could do with your life. Because this is the reason for which you were created. So let's not ask, can God use me? And let's not ask, can God use this church? Let's just ask, why not me? (laughs) Why not us? If he could use Stephen and Philip and Barnabas, and if he could use this small church gathered in an upper room facing unbelievable opposition, if he could use them, Why not us? So brothers and sisters, let's seek Him together. Let's seek His glory in our lives and in our world. It's not going to be easy. But by God's grace and in His power, we can do what He calls us to do. And there's nothing better that we could invest our lives in.